Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Hoping we find you all in good form on this Tuesday morning, John Paul. Taking your calls at 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us on the programme this morning, we as always welcome your calls. You can text or WhatsApp as well, 86 103103. And actually, let me start by going back to yesterday and some calls that we had in from people um, who wanted to highlight or raise different issues. One was Jur, who joined us on the line from Canturk, and he was very concerned about a pedestrian crossing at O'Brien Street in Canturk because the flashing yellow lights that indicate it's a pedestrian crossing were not, was not, were not working. Jared explained that a car had hit one of them a few weeks ago, levelled it, taken it out of it, I think, completely. And because of that, the other flashing light wasn't working. He, along with other local people, were very, very concerned. But he said the reason he particularly wanted us to highlight it and they got on to us yesterday was that this week he was parked at the pedestrian crossing. There was somebody passing and he said a truck just went straight through and then he said the truck driver realised too late oh my God, it's a pedestrian crossing. Now, luckily nobody was injured, but, you know, Ger was making the point, it was an accident waiting to happen. And he said he could even see, it was a van, I think, the van driver looked at him and, you know, kind of shrugged his shoulders to say, I'm sorry, I didn't realise it was the pedestrian uh, crossing. And Ger had got onto the RSA to, uh, to alert them to the fact that the pedestrian crossing flashing amber lights were not working and they wanted him to put it in writing and it was just all and he was saying look this is going on too long something needs to be done about it so we said we would put a call through and make contact with uh, Cork County Council to see if they could be of any help to us and by big hour they were back to us very quickly well yesterday evening they got back to us the communications office of Cork County Council to say that the new poll has been ordered and it should be erected in the coming days they say Cork County Council intends for the contractor to finish the work as soon as possible. So it wasn't that Cork County Council had forgotten about it or they weren't doing anything about it. They had ordered the poll but they were waiting on the poll to come in. So obviously they don't have those polls in stock at Cork County Council. It has to be ordered. I don't know where you order a poll for a pedestrian crossing or how long it takes and all of that but they're working on it and the good news is that within the coming days. So hopefully Jer is listening to us and he'll be happy with that uh, and other people in Canturk. And if you can be our eyes and ears, please, and let us know when the pedestrian crossing and the amber, the flashing amber lights are back up and working at O'Brien Street in Canturk. But for everybody else driving through Canturk, be aware of that, that the 
lights are not working at the pedestrian crossing so you need to be very very careful and Ger was just making the point that up to 300 school children use that pedestrian crossing every day and the children know it's a pedestrian crossing they're not aware that the some of the motorists mightn't be aware because the amber lights are not working so please uh, be careful on that one and then we also highlighted an issue it was a mum from West Cork had contacted us because I don't know whether we whether we knew it was her son or daughter her child had bought a ticket for the disco in Ahamilla the Clonakil TGAA this weekend and she had lost the ticket now they had photographic evidence of the ticket they'd photographed the ticket and she had other evidence of how she had paid for the ticket and she was trying to get on to Clonakilty GAA to obtain a replacement disco ticket and she wasn't having any luck, luck and she was wondering if we could help her out if we could make contact so we put the call out to Clonakilty GAA to say anybody listening can you make contact with us please so that we can pass on the telephone number of this mum who was trying to get the replacement ticket I thought it was going to be as simple as that I thought there would be no problem at all you know They'd make contact. We'd give them the number. They'd ring the mother to say, look, fine, you have the photographic evidence. Here's your ticket. Hope your your child enjoys the, the, the disco. But I've had a very detailed email in that makes a lot of sense, I have to say, from the chairperson of Clonakilty GAA, Ger McCarthy who says that there has been a volume, he was apologising first uh, as to why the lady in particular she was trying to get through, I think it was on Facebook or something and she was having difficulties getting through and um, Ger says, apologies firstly for the lack of response, however that is as a result of the volume of calls and messages they've been receiving with similar issues. I'm intrigued by this. He said over the last week they've been contacted by up to 20 people who have lost or misplaced their tickets for the disco for Friday night which we have no doubt they they are all genuine reports but the numbers of tickets issued are limited and they're limited by the district court and they're legally obliged to remain within the limits set. The tickets for Friday's disco have been sold out and therefore they cannot issue replacement tickets given the large number of losses involved and the risk that the replacement tickets would be found and then utilised by a third party. He said, we have in the past replaced a single ticket on one or two occasions and such a request would be very, very rare. However, given the scale of the problem for this disco, he says, we've had to take a different approach as some people reported that they'd lost up to three tickets. So he says, we're dealing with substantial numbers. Almost all of those who have contacted Clonakilty GAA have their ticket numbers and in some cases have also photographs of the lost tickets, which he says is really helpful. However, the logistics of checking every single ticket at the point of entry to ensure that the lost tickets are not being used by others is simply not practical. Now we're going to pass on he's asked for the details of the lady who rang us yesterday and we're going to let them uh, sort it all out but that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean if up to 20 people have lost tickets all of them are photographed so they they can prove it and and I know I know how strict the rules and regulations of these teenage discos are set by the district court because God knows and we've dealt with it on this programme there has been problems in the past at some of these teenage discos with children getting drunk 
and are taking drugs. We had Dr. Jason Vandervelt uh, talk about it. We had Dr. Jason Vandervelt saying to the parents, you need to know what your young people are, are doing. And the organisers of the disco came in for a lot of stick and they're doing their best to run good, wholesome discos that young people can go out, can go to and enjoy. It's almost like a rite of passage. When we were all teenagers, we all went to discos and we remembered, you know, a great night out and all of that. And you don't want to take that away from young people because other young people are deciding to abuse alcohol or to abuse drugs. So something had to be done. The district court took a very serious view on these discos because of the media publicity and because of the likes of Dr. Jason Vandervelt coming out and talking about what could happen or what could go wrong if we don't do something to stop the amount of drinking drugs that are at these discos. So the judge at the district court has laid down very strict rules and regulations and one of them governs the number of young people that can go to these discos and the organisers must stick to that. So I can fully understand if 20 people have lost tickets and then they reissue 20 tickets and lo and behold the other 20 tickets are found or they've fallen into somebody else's hands and another 20 people turn up with those tickets. And there is no way that the organisers physically could have enough staff on the door to check every single ticket to keep a lookout for the 20 that had gone missing on the off chance that a third party is going to come in with them. But if they don't do that and then they allow in the extra 20 people and then something happens and the judge gets wins that there was an extra 20 inside in the disco or there was some accident on the night or something happened and the guardy had to be called, head count was done extra 20 inside in the disco, they will never be allowed to run a disco again. So I 100% can see where the organisers are coming on this. And I know that's going to be disappointing uh, for any parent listening whose son or daughter has lost their ticket and there isn't a hope of buying another one because they are completely sold out. But thems are the rules. And if your young person has lost the ticket, it's a, isn't it a valuable lesson learned to look after the ticket? So even having photographic evidence of the ticket is not going to be of any uh, use. But I also thought it was somebody loses. I was asking, we were having a chat about this in, in the office before we came on air. And I was thinking in all the years that I bought a ticket, I've never actually taken a photograph of it to have photographic evidence of your ticket. It's, it's probably not a bad idea, but obviously are these young people used to losing things a lot? So therefore, they're, for fear that they lose it again, they take a photograph. They will learn a valuable lesson if they miss out on the disco because they lost the ticket. But, but I absolutely can understand where the organisers are coming from on this one. Now, coming up on the programme today, we are going to go back to the elections. The papers are still hugely dominated with the counts that are still ongoing and people analysing the results from the elections last uh, Friday and we have a number of things we want to tie up on the programme today. For example, the plebiscite. We finally got the result of the plebiscite in the city and the good people of Cork City don't want to, by a very, very narrow margin, don't want to directly elect their own Lord Mayor. There's a lot of criticism now of the campaign. There's a lot of people saying they didn't really understand what it was all about. Others felt too much of the focus of the plebiscite for directly elected Mayor was all to do with how much the wage packet, how much 
it was going to cost the Exchequer and people didn't really get into what would be the pluses for Cork City to have a directly elected mayor. And it's interesting that now it's been voted down. When we had a discussion at one stage that for people in the county felt it would be unfair if the city had a directly elected mayor and the county didn't have a directly elected mayor, there was a fear that the city might gain an advantage over the county. Well, certainly it's not going to happen at the moment. Uh, whether we'll go back to, I heard Jerry Bushmer, I was interested to hear Jerry Bushmer on the news, say, maybe send it back to the Citizens' Assembly because the Citizens' Assembly are going to look at a directly elected mayor for Dublin. So he's suggesting maybe they should look at a directly elected mayor for Cork City as well. It also, the plebiscite also failed to pass in Waterford and the other city that had plebiscite was Limerick. They've passed it. Be interesting to see. Limerick will have, will be the only city to have a directly elected mayor. And of course for, for Limerick, they've only one council, don't they? So it'll be a directly elected mayor for the city and county. So we will watch that with keen interest. So we'll discuss the plebiscite result on the programme today. We welcome your thoughts uh, on it. Was it a good result uh, for the city? We'll also get the updates on the European elections. Uh, Now this could change as I'm speaking but as far as I know we are still the last constituency in the country to have elected our first MEP. We know that our first MEP is going to be the outgoing MEP Sean Kelly, but he's yet to be elected. It is painstaking, the count in Nemo Rangers, but that's got a lot to do with the size of that ballot paper. I was even watching on the news last night. Pascal Sheehy was doing a report from there and you could see in the background the counters trying to... this over two foot long ballot paper that we all got last Friday tried to put them into the pigeonhole I mean it was even awkward to do that so it's just painstaking the normal counting is taking longer because every single step of the counting is longer than it would be with a shorter ballot paper so my sympathies go out to the people at the count centre so we'll find out what's happening at that there was also two recounts going on the one in the city has been sorted but the one in the county still hasn't been sorted. This is the one for Bantry at West Cork. It's due to resume, I think at 11 o'clock this morning. We'll get the very latest on that on the programme uh, today. And as promised yesterday, we're going to speak to two of the younger candidates who decided to put their name on the ballot paper for the local election. And two of the young guns have been elected and they will be heading to County Hall, namely Ben Dalton O'Sullivan, who is 19. He is a student at UCC. He ran as an independent, which meant he ran his own campaign. I mean, that's that's a very, very big task and a big ask of a young 19-year-old. But lo and behold, he got himself elected. And then William O'Leary that I had the privilege of having a quick few words with after he got elected for the Fianna Fáil uh, party at the Mallow Count Centre last uh, Saturday night. I had a quick few words with him. He's another uh, young guy. And it's just great to see... This is the future of politics in Ireland. I mean, you would like to think that these young guys and gals who decided to go out and run for election, that they will go on maybe one day to run for for the Dáil, uh, you know, and could end up being the leaders of our country because a lot of our politicians cut their teeth on local politics. I think it's a good good training ground. That's not to say you can't go straight to to, to Dáil Éireann as a lot of people do. And I don't know what the proportion of 
people who are in Dáil Éireann have come through local politics. But I'm sure the figure is quite high. I mean, you think of even around Cork, how many of the candidates that we vote for in general elections would have started out in local politics. I mean, Sean Sherlock, Kevin O'Keefe would have been a councillor and on and on and on that list goes. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a good, it's a good place to start out, uh, I think. So it's great. These are the politicians of the future as well, but they're also our local councillors. I will be introducing them with their new title as councillors. So we'll speak with both of those on the programme uh, today. And then we'll go completely we will leave elections aside on the programme as well today. We're going to speak with quite a remarkable woman, Cork woman, Mary Murphy. She's from Glasheen. And next Sunday is the Cork City Marathon. Big, big day out in Cork City. And Mary Murphy will be going to the start line and it will be her 200th time to start and run a marathon. Isn't that an amazing achievement? She's 60 years of age and has run two hundred marathons. It's incredible. We'll speak with Mary on the programme today. And then Joe Heffernan not available to talk to us uh, today, but it does give us the opportunity to focus on Alcoholics Anonymous and to look at the whole issue of addiction to alcohol and the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and how what a wonderful, wonderful organisation it is and it has helped so many people. And we'll speak with one of those that it's helped. A gentleman by the name of Morris will join us to share his stories. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Court Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, while independence will hold sway in Cork's County Hall, despite Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael continuing to underline their dominance as the main parties in local authority, everybody welcomed the fact that so many young people put themselves forward for election this time round. This morning, we featured two of those young guns who successfully gained a seat on the new council. Councillor Ben Dalton O'Sullivan is 19 years old and he took one of the final seats in the Carrigaline electoral area. And uh, Ben joins me. Good morning to you, Councillor Dalton O'Sullivan. Oh, <laughs> morning, Patricia. Just thinking it. <laughs> well, what does it feel like to be called councillor? Oh, it's just unbelievable. I just can't believe it. And, you know, to be down in Mallow and just to see, you know, the boxes being opened in Mallow and see the ones coming out of the boxes, it was just unbelievable. What attracts a 19-year-old to local politics, Ben? I, you know, I, I just want to make a difference. You know, like where I'm from in Ballygarth and it's kind of a rural area and, you know, the people just wanted a voice. And when I kind of said back in, I think it was kind of the, bit, the start of March that I was going to run, people just said, yeah, absolutely, we need someone from Ballygarth. And, you know, the same when I went to Ballinhastig, you know, Goggins Hill, Waterfall, they just wanted a voice. And, you know, I just said, look, if I can give them a voice for the next five years, I'll do it. What, how did your family react to the decision? They thought I was mad. <laughs> mad. <laughs> <laughs> to run for election and just to, they just thought it was mental. <laughs> and what kind of a campaign did you run? Um, I'd very, like, I'd only eight posters. I had very little money. I had no paid ads, um, no resources. There was only myself and another canvasser three nights a week. And, you know, I just couldn't believe it that I got in. You know, like, the parties just, see, you know, they had all the posts, just they had the leafleters, they had the canvassers, they had the big teams. And like I had none of that. And I just went to the doors and said, look, I'm making no promises, only to do my best over the next five years. And people got behind that. 
And did you get a sense of that on the doorstep? I mean, did you know? Did you get the sense that people were being honest with you and thinking, "Yeah, I'll I'll give you a try. I'll give you a vote." Like every, nearly everyone said, "Yeah, absolutely, you'd have our votes, five votes, six votes." You know, if you went by the doors, you'd have four quotas. But you know, I think people, you know, you knew like everyone wasn't going to vote for your people; just give you twos and threes. And but you know, I think especially in the rural areas where you know you were the only person to call to the door and you were the only person to go out, you know, up the driveway, out in the middle of nowhere and just knock on the door and say, look, I am young, but I'll give you a voice over the next five years. I, you know, I just didn't expect the rural people to get behind me as much as they did. You know, I topped the pole in Ballygarfen and the two boxes and, you know, I'm just delighted. What was your first preference vote? Um, 818. 818. That's incredible. And then obviously you got you got transfers then after that that uh, pushed, yeah, I, you, pushed you over the line. Yeah, transfers from Seamus McGrath and um, John Weldon, Hill. So now you're a counsellor, but you're also a full-time student. What are you studying in UCC? Uh, government of all things, BSc government. Okay. <laughs> of all things. <laughs> so, so this is where you want to go? Yeah, well, I think local politics anyway. I, I don't know about national politics, but I think, you know, like people just want a voice and, you know, just like knocking at the doors and people, you know, it's the young people who said, you know, that they never had a connection with the council and to have someone young and then especially the older people, you know, who might be caring for a husband or a wife or whatever. And, you know, they just said, you know, when they approach the council and they need to apply for a housing adaption grant, they just get a bundle of forms. And, you know, I think to have someone who's there to connect them, to help them with the forms and, you know, walk them through the process, I think that's where, that's where I think the support came from. But, you, but you're not you're not dropping out of college. You're going to continue your studies? No, I'll continue in college. Sorry, UCC. And you're probably lucky in a way in Cork County Council. You've got some very strong other independent councillors yeah. who I'm assuming will take you under their wing. Have you made contact yeah, well, with I, any of them? I, well, already I got a phone call from one. Now, I won't name him, but okay. he just rang and said that, you know, that he'll help me through as much as possible and, you know, yeah. he'll do his best for me, sort of thing. So, like, you'd appreciate that because, you know, the first time I was in County Hall was to hand in my nomination paper. <laughs> so, I mean... <laughs> you could, can you show me where the lift is? Yeah, where where yeah. we're meant to go. Yeah, no, <laughs> listen, there. it's it's the one thing, actually, when I was at the, the Count Centre in at Mallow Youth Centre and when I was talking with some of the older councillors and I was saying there's going to be a lot of new faces and you know fresh faces young faces which is great yeah. and they're all very welcoming of that and I think and they were all newbies once upon a time and I think you are particularly lucky that it's Cork County Council because of that strong independent yeah. section that's there so they'll they're, they're look after you fine listen good luck with it and we will we will speak over the next five years but once again congratulations thanks, to Councillor Ben Dalton O'Sullivan thanks for joining thanks, us Patricia. Ben bye 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 what a lovely young lad I think he is going to do uh, well uh, for himself now let me go to um, let me see where I'm going next I have somewhere in here so let me see what line I'm going to on this one. Um, oh, here we are. Sorry. My apologies. Now, because it was also a great day at the office for Fianna Fáil people at the Fermoy Electoral Area Count with all three of their candidates 
exceeding the quota on the first count. And one of those Fianna Fáil candidates was running for the first time and is another of the young candidates, 28-year-old William O'Leary from Rathgormach uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Councillor William O'Leary. You're welcome. Good morning, Patricia. You're, wel- you? you're welcome to the programme. Are you, you getting used to the title of Councillor William O'Leary? Um, I, I, I am. Um, look, it's been a, a whirlwind 48 hours, but look, we got there on the end and um, look, absolutely delighted here and p- delighted here on Red Carmichael and my friends and family. So look, the, the real work starts today, Patricia. You know, we had our 24 hours of a small bit of celebrating, but look, Monday morning, the work starts today. Now, I, I had a brief few words with you on Saturday night at the Count, uh, William, and you were explaining you don't come from a political family. So what prompted you to enter local politics? Um, no, no, Patricia, I don't really come from a huge political family. Um, I suppose, look, like I said, at the, I mean, at the doors over the last few weeks, is just a long-term interest I've had, you know, and I was always interested in politics. Um, I, I, I went on to college, then to the University of Limerick to study it. Uh, I studied history and politics. And, look, delighted... Like, I always had an interest in interim public service that has to be driven by a desire to help others. And look, that that's the reason I sought election, and it's to, to provide the best assistance over the next five years I can to people who need it the most. And why the Fianna Fáil party? Um, look, I suppose the Fianna Fáil party for me have always been the catch-all party. You know, you hear too much now in politics of the right and the left, you know, and too many parties and politicians align themselves to one group or sector of society. I firmly believe Fianna Fáil have always tried their best to cater for all sectors of society. And for me, that's what I'll be trying to do, you know. It's catering for those who might be involved in big business or those who might be in need of welfare assistance. You know, you have to you have to cater for the many and Patricia, not just the one. Mm. You know? yeah. And I have to say, at the count on Saturday night, the one thing that everybody was talking about was the vote management of uh, Fianna Fáil, and it certainly really worked in the Fomoy area. Well, look, I was very lucky when I entered this race that, I, that my running mates, Frank O'Flynn and Deirdre O'Brien, are two outstanding candidates, two outstanding politicians, you know, two experienced candidates. And we, we, we firmly believe that if things could be managed correctly, there was definitely a third seat there. You know, we, we did exceed expectations by by having all three candidates elected on the first count. You know, and look, it just shows that if you work together and vote and vote management, you know, it, it can work out. You know, yeah. and look, it's a big area. I come from Ackermock, um, you know, um, south of the Blackwater, as I would refer to it. You know, and we feel, look, we did we did need that bit of extra representation down here. Uh, on my side of the territory in you know, the likes of Glimville, Brecarma, Connor, Kesslines, Ballino, Coraglass, you know, um, there was an opening down here um, for, for, for a candidate, you know, and luckily look, it was me who got elected yeah. and absolutely delighted to be. Did you enjoy the campaign? Thoroughly enjoyed it, <laughs> you know, I, I love the cut and trust of politics, you know, um, like, like, and I was delighted by the amount of young people who would have had for want of a better word, no interest in politics. They, they were delighted to come on board and help out and they were absolutely brilliant at the doors um, and was helping me in all areas of the campaign and look, it was just a, a great, a great, a very enjoyable six, six to eight weeks we had, you know, uh, on the campaign trail. And as I just asked uh, young Ben, how did his family react? They thought he was gone mad when he said he was entering local politics. What was your family's reaction to the news? Um, look, 
they were always they're always they've always been very supportive of me, you know, and can't thank them enough. Um so the new they're into probably inter, entering uncharted ground, I suppose, with with me running for election. Um but like I said, just rode in behind me a hundred percent and gave me all the support I needed and looked are thrilled and and they're absolutely delighted and I, I'm I, they're they're looking forward to the next five years as I am here in Rekharm. And it was your siblings who came up with the idea for the song that went viral mm. with the where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um like I was saying to you on Saturday night, Patricia, I have three sisters over in London. Um unfortunately they couldn't be over here helping me at the door, so they came up with the idea that they might write a song and that was their contribution to the campaign and and like I said, Sean, Saturday, Patricia, campaigns and elections, they can become very serious, you know. And they, we just wanted to bring a bit of fun to us, you know. It was and, excellent. It was, you know, it was excellent. Yeah, and it, yeah. was, it was the amount yeah. of people that mentioned it. In, yeah. And it just made people smile when they saw it. It was terrific. It was, say, say well done to your siblings. It's, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They're, they are a talented uh, bunch. Very talented. Very so, talented. so onwards and upwards from here, uh, William, when is, do, you, do you know when you were first meeting, when you will first take up your position in County Hall? Um, officially Friday week. Um, okay. Like I said, to the real work starts today. Um, we have a party meeting in County Hall today at four o'clock. Um, so look, we'll see what that brings. But look, looking forward to getting getting stuck into it. And look, Ben Ben spoke about. I was very similar to Ben. Um, at the doors, I think the only promise I made was that I made no promises because people are sick of hearing false promises. You know, at the doors, and I think that went down very well at the doors. It it, it seems to work for Ben, and it worked for me. Um. The only promise you can make to people is that you'll do your very best from and my phone will always be on to people 24-7 and looking forward to looking forward to getting, getting well done. to work. Well done. Yeah. It's, it's a very brave thing to do. We wish you luck with it, Councillor William O'Leary and uh, uh, we will talk again. Thank you for that Thank and thanks you, for Patricia. joining us. Thanks, uh, bye bye. 1850-333-103 Anne says this is on elections, um, European elections. The length of the European election paper was absolutely crazy. Uh, it was bizarre having 23 candidates of which 13 were independents. It independence. It should be limited to 10 candidates. Candidates must be made meet a certain criteria of requirements to be added to the ballot paper, says uh, Anne. But would that be true democracy if you're straight away limiting and saying somebody has to have a certain education and qualification or a certain experience? And if that be the case, the young people like young Ben, who's only 19, put his campaign together with his his eight posters and no money and just went out knocking on doors. You know, if you if you were to if you were to put that to the nth degree, would be very limited in who would put their names forward. But I do agree, the length of the paper was very long, but there was nothing that the organisers of the election could do that was just down to the number of candidates who ran. But it was, I mentioned this yesterday, the number of papers that were spoilt. And there was, I think it was about 20,000 people went to vote and put in a blank ballot paper for the European elections just decided that they didn't want to they either thought the paper was too long they didn't know any of the 23 
for whatever reason they didn't write anything on it because you can write things on it and spoil your vote that way but in, instead they just return them to the ballot box empty Record today on C103 Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 086 2103 103 The recount in the Bantry local electoral area to fill the final seat on Cork County Council is to resume in under 10 minutes at 11 o'clock this morning Mairead Tuig from C103 uh, Newsroom uh, joins me Good morning to you Mairead Good morning Now Patricia. this I'm very well this recount is possibly for the closest seat in council history there's just one vote between the two candidates Just the one so you can imagine the tension and the nerves that are in the room Okay, just explain what's been going on. Yeah, so it, the so the recount started yesterday morning at eleven a.m. So we'll say just going back, I suppose, to Sunday night, and this count was was happening down in Clonakilty in the community hall, um, and you know Finbar Harrington he came out with you know what, the one above he was leading, um, and then this uh, Holly. McKeever Carnes of the Social Democrats, she called for the recount. So it started yesterday morning at 11am in Cork County Hall. Now, throughout the, the morning, I mean, there wasn't much happening. There was people coming in and out, but the nerves was unbelievable. Um, it was kind of later into the evening yesterday that Morris Manning, the returning officer, he met with the two candidates. They came back. He was hoping that they would come to a conclusion last evening but obviously not so um, so it's resuming again this morning at 11am. Now what they're doing this morning, we're expecting them to look at the impact of some doubtful ballots on those final totals. So for argument's sake, let's say if it ends in a draw so there's one between, between them now, so if it ends in a draw, what would happen is it goes back to the first person's vote and that would then see Holly McKeever kind taking the seat. But then Finbar because Holly called the first recount, he now has the option to call for another recount again. Yeah, uh, it's uh, and and that is the it's the dilemma that Finbar finds himself in is if it goes back to the first preferences because Holly did better on first preferences. She I mean, did. she came in only something like three hundred behind the the county mayor Jared Patrick Murphy. I think she was one one two seven five was her first preference. It was and Finbar one two seven four. Yeah, one two seven four, and he was yeah. one zero. Oh, one one zero one. Yeah. On now he picked up a lot. He got a lot of transfers. He was very he transfer did. friendly. Yeah, the that's what brought him up. He, he got a lot of transfers there from the likes of Noel Harrington and even from Danny Collins, who tops the ball. He would have got a lot of transfers there, and a lot of his transfers were over the one hundred. But the only, the highest transfer that Holly got was one hundred and ninety three from George Gill. So it's really interesting just seeing where the transfers are coming from. Where the transfers are coming from, um, but but as I say, at, at the very end, it just turns out that there's one between them. So uh, so yeah, it's going to be a really interesting interesting day. And I suppose when a recount happens, you know, because obviously they, they don't happen often, but when they do happen, you get to see what like how the count went. But you also see, you know, we, there there's certain things there, like these five doubtful ballots. You know, you know what what is doubtful about them. So yeah, yeah, yeah. People really start to scrutinise every single <laughs> ballot paper much more than it's done in a, on a normal count. Okay, so so eleven o'clock they're resuming the count. Is that where we're at? So what they're resuming this morning, they're they're looking. What I understand is they're going looking at those doubtful ballots. Okay, and to to see 
from the doubtful ballot how it could affect the final outcome. So then, depending on what Morris Manning has to say, the returning officer, when he talks again to the two candidates, and depending on their decision, could go back to another recount. And, you know, Patricia, this could go on for days. And that's a full recount. That's going back to all of the ballot papers again, that's isn't it? W- that's yeah. what, what we'd understand. But it, it was moved up from Clannacilty. That's another another point to note, because some people are wondering, because obviously the candidates now have to travel a lot. It's travel up as far as County Hall from their homes. Um, but I, I understand there was bingo in the hall had to be used for, for a lot of other reasons for the week. So right. it affects everything. Yeah, so it's, so it's, it's a county hall. But the tension, in, you were there yesterday, Mairead. Oh my, I was there yesterday and the tension is unbelievable. Yeah. It broke actually for for a full hour for lunch. So everyone has to leave the room. It's the very top of county hall. Uh, so floor, floor 16 there and everyone has to get out for lunch. So everything stopped for an hour. There's very few time staff there. You've got the, the county solicitor, Orla DC. She's watching it. You know, you, you members of Garda Shiakona there. So, so, but, you know, like a normal county centre, everyone's talking and relaxed. Well, relaxed as they can be. Whereas this is a totally different scenario. I mean, there's no real thing. You can't talk and you can't do whatever. But no one seems to want it. It's like it's as if you're sitting in a leaving sort exam and you just can't Goodness. wait for it to be over. And it went on until um, it, was, it was nearly 8 o'clock last night, wasn't nearly it, before Ma- Ma- Morris Manning called it off? Yeah, it was nearly 8 o'clock last night. I think he was, like he said before he went to meet with the two candidates that he was hoping that it would conclude. It was taking a lot longer than he, he had anticipated. So um, so I think everyone's just anxious to, to come to a conclusion on it and hopefully... Hopefully it will come sooner rather than okay. later. OK, OK. And unfortunately, there will only be one winner and there will be one loser, exactly. which is which is unfortunate. Marie, thank you for that. Thanks, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is Marie Chetouik from the C103 uh, Newsroom, who was at that recount yesterday. It continues at 11 this morning. If anything else breaks on that story throughout the morning, we will bring it to you. We're going to take a break. We have news at 11 o'clock. We'll continue to talk elections in the next hour because I want to take a look at how the Europeans are going. We'll also discuss the plan Beside yesterday that didn't go certainly in the favour of the government. It was the government were pushing for a directly elected mayor. A lot of the political parties were in favour of a directly elected mayor, I have to say, but the campaign uh, didn't re- Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Really seem to excite anyone, and as we know, by a very, very narrow majority. The plebiscite uh, failed yesterday, so we will uh, discuss that. That's all to come in the next hour. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A number of Baileys are making the papers today. Uh, obviously, there's a there is an amount of coverage on the case that has opened in. Paris in France. This is the court case that's due to last a week. It's been the family of murdered French filmmaker Sophie Tuscon de Planté. Hope to finally put the case to rest nearly 23 years after her murder outside uh, Scotland. This is where the Manchester-born journalist Ian Bailey, who's not present for the uh, trial and he has been 
he's been prosecuted in absentia and there's a lot of coverage on the papers on that but the other Bailey that's getting a lot of attention is the Fine Gael TD Maria Bailey and she is now coming under pressure to not resign as a TD but to resign her chairmanship of a key Oireachtas committee and of course if you take up any of those chairmanships that comes with an extra pay packet uh, an extra amount of money onto your pay packet. So there's a there's a monetary gain, or in this case it would be a monetary loss if she was forced to resign from the chairmanship. She's been criticised now by cabinet members and I think across all political parties uh, for the interview that she gave on RTE yesterday. She had gone on and I'd love to know who advised her, but she went on to defend the reason why she had initially started to sue the Dean Hotel. This is for falling off the swing. Now, she's since withdrawn the claim, so she was on radio yesterday trying to uh, defend it. Now, while Miss Bailey said she did not think she would be thrown out of the party, and all indications are she won't be thrown out of a Fianna Fáil, Fianna Fianna Gael, there are multiple sources saying she's under pressure to resign. She is chair of the Oireachtas Committee on Housing. She is due to meet with the Taoiseach in the near future. Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall for that particular uh, meeting? The Minister for Health, Simon Harris, yesterday described the interview as unfortunate and said withdrawing the claim was an acknowledgement that it should never have proceeded. And he said uh, Fine Gael members who have appreci- would have appreciated if she had withdrawn it before the local and European elections. And it seems it came up on the doorstep that a number of Fine Gael candidates, particularly last week when there was so much coverage about Marie Bailey falling off the swing and the, com- and the case that she was taking and the compensation culture of this country. And God knows we've done enough interviews over the years about the compensation culture and I'll put my hand up and say I'm probably one of the first ones who I have I rant and rave when I see cases in the paper that I think should never have been taken and when you think you, you we've all had trips and falls and family members and you dust yourself down I mean if I fall I think I'm more embarrassed that anybody's witnessed me falling instead of this rushing straight in to put a claim into the courts and we know the effect that this the, of people suing, the effect that it's having on small businesses, how many small businesses have had to close because they've had claims against them, even at times fraudulent cases against them, but the insurance company pays out and then when the small company goes to try to get insurance covered the next year, it's just gone rocketed so much they can't afford it and they've ended up having to close their businesses. I mean, only of late we were talking about the soft play areas for the children, you know, whether the indoor play centres. I mean, we came very close to every single one of those indoor play centres closing and that's to due to the increase in children having a bump or a fall inside in an indoor play area and the parents deciding to sue. It's just something has to be done about it. But then when you see an elected representative, a member of the government taking a case like this for a fall off a swing, you kind of think, God almighty, you know, where are we at? Are we ever going to get a handle on this compensation culture? But what's interesting is the hotel that was being sued by Maria uh, Bailey uh, actually decided to defend the case when they viewed CCTV footage. These indoor swings 
where Maria Bailey fell and, and I'm not in any way I mean she kept saying yesterday in the interview that she was hurt and she had hurt herself and I'm not disputing that she was injured but just how injured were you injured enough that you really needed to, to sue the hotel anyway the Dean Hotel went back over their CCTV footage and the video and it would have been used had it gone to trial they would have produced this video uh, evidence and seemingly the video evidence shows and this has now been confirmed by Mrs Bailey that she had a beer in one hand and she was reaching out for her friend's bottle of wine because the friend was going to take a picture of her on the swings and nothing wrong with that and she was getting her phone out so she, you know give me the bottle of wine there I'd hold it for you kind of thing and see me it was then she fell off the swing but those details that she had a bottle of beer and was reaching for a bottle of wine which meant she couldn't have been holding on to the rope on the swing and she couldn't have been able to balance herself properly that hadn't been included in her endorsement of claim document filed uh, in the court now the hotel are not commenting on the matter uh, yesterday um, but I imagine they are delighted to hear that Miss Bailey is dropping uh, the case so she goes on radio yesterday to try to defend herself but goodness me I, I heard I heard it uh, yesterday evening she really did herself no favours at all, and it sort of, it, uh, it, it straight away struck me. You know, sometimes you've got to, you take, you hope that she, well, whoever advised her to go on, maybe she didn't take any advice. Maybe she thought it was the best thing to do was to go on and, and defend herself. But like, when you start to dig a hole, you just you you dig in the hole, and the hole just gets uh, deeper and deeper. But there's some of the papers are talking today, and I did think of this yesterday of other disastrous interviews that are done with people now. In this case, she went on to defend herself, but other people who did, you know, the the, the one I think that a lot of people will, will remember was Brian Cowan. Do you remember he was at one, they were in Galway at a Fianna Fáil thinking and he did an early morning interview and it really did sound like he was either just out of bed or that he hadn't either, be, hadn't even been to bed. I remember at the time, the, for, the former or the future tarnished at the time, Simon Coveney, he took to social media saying that the Taoiseach sounded either drunk or hungover and that spiralled. So much shock of the condition that the Taoiseach appeared to be in the morning after he'd been singing the night before or something and whatever, but people sort of said he was ill-advised to have done that interview if he'd been out late the night before. I mean, P. Flynn, Porrick Flynn and his... Death by Late Late show and his comments. Remember, he spoke about his three housekeepers and trying to run three houses on a home salary of £100,000 as it was at the time, at a, at a time when people were really struggling in this country. And he was saying, You should try and do it now. And oh my God. And that, anyway, has gone down in history as Death by the Late Late show. And then the other one that I remember would have been the one with Marion Fanuke and the Joe Jacobs one, where he spoke about this was the time of the iodine tablets. And we were talking about if there was a nuclear fallout or an emergency at the time he was running the department and she was saying okay if there has been a nuclear fallout what would we do now and she was watching the clock saying okay it's 10 minutes now since we've had the nuclear disaster it's now gone to 50 minutes and it was just it was absolutely cringe the man had so much had so little information on what was to what was to be done so Marie Bailey won't be the first to do a, a radio or a television interview that she will look back on in hindsight and absolutely regret 1850 333 103 
3. John Paul taking your calls. Advice please for one of our listeners. We love to try and get advice from other listeners. Jane has been on saying, Patricia, have a request please if that's okay. With us all trying to use less plastic, I'm switching all my soaps to bars of soap instead of using liquid soap in plastic bottles. That is a terrific idea, Jane. Well done. But, there is a but in this, I can't find a good soap dish. I have one that ironically is plastic. It's the one that has holes in it so the water drains into the dish below. Yeah, they get a bit scummy, don't they? I don't really like the look of those. But um, I can't find them in the shops. All I can find are ceramic ones, but the ceramic ones don't have the drainage. The ceramic ones makes the soap go soft. Does anybody know where I can buy good soap dishes? Thanking you, says uh, Jane. So has anybody been out shopping of late and bought soap dishes? Not the ceramic ones because they don't have the drainage. So Jane is looking for some kind of ones with drainage. You seem to be okay with the plastic one, but you don't really want because you're trying to move away completely from plastic. Stainless steel would be ideal, wouldn't it? Uh, Anybody spotted stainless steel? type soap dishes. Anyway, if anybody knows good soap dishes that will allow for drainage not the ceramic ones, you've spotted them somewhere or maybe you're, you work in a shop and you have them for sale, let us know. 1850 Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The latest jobs on C103. Official media partner of the Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon Sunday, June 2nd. Get working now to run the full half or relay. More details at c103.ie. Arctic drivers are wanted on a casual basis. That's for Cork City and County. It's for day, night and weekend work. Baker Finn Recruitment are looking for a bookkeeper. You need to have one to two years experience, please, with Exchequer. And experienced 360 driver wanted. That's for site work in the Kinsale area. And experienced multi-drop delivery driver wanted for immediate start. Knowledge of the Cork area would be an advantage. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. This Wednesday on C103's Cork Today show, we'll be speaking with a representative from Awalia. Awalia is a scheme to help homeowners find a resolution to their home mortgage arrears. It provides vouchers for free financial and legal advice and help from experts which are available through MABS. If you have been through the Awalia scheme and would like to share your story, or if you're looking for advice, email corktoday at c103.ie. Then listen in this Wednesday at 11.45am only on C103. Now, yesterday was another busy one for election counts. We had the European elections, two recounts for the local elections and the county to decide if the people wanted a directly elected mayor in uh, Cork City. By the way, just getting the very latest from the Bantry recount where we spoke with Marade Tuick before news at 11. The returning officer has told the candidates that in the course of the recount, Five papers were found that should not have been included and they are now being adjudicated, bearing in mind that there was just one vote between uh, Finbar and Holly. So five votes could make a difference. So we'll keep an eye and update you on that story. But I want to go to Nemo Rangers, where I'm joined by our senior news uh, reporter, uh, Fiona Corcoran. Good morning to you, Fiona. Good morning, Patricia. 
and uh, you are welcome. Let's start. Can we start with the plebiscite um, first? Um, and the it in the end very narrow margin on the plebiscite, but uh, it's it's a no from the people of Cork. They don't want to directly elect a mayor. That's right, Patricia. It was so tight all day yesterday. It was just neck and neck. Um, every couple of hours we were getting updates and it was literally like 15,000 yes, 15,000 no, 20,000 yes, 20,000 no's. And it went on like that for the day up until about two o'clock, three o'clock yesterday. And then um, the no vote had just inched ahead by 993 votes. So there was um, the amount of people who voted for no was 34,347 and the amount of people who voted yes was 33,365. So it was an extremely close result, and um, but the no side won out in the end, and the we got reactions yesterday from Senator Jerry Buttimer. Um, now he had been spearheading this campaign for a yes vote, so obviously he was very upset about it yesterday, and he said that you know it's the decision of the people, but yet uh, the government are considering now whether or not they can put this to a citizens' assembly. They don't really want to let it lie, um, and you know Limerick had voted yes. So there's uh, there was talk in the run up to this that if Limerick voted yes and Cork voted no, that Limerick would go ahead in terms of development, in terms of getting financial investments for various different projects. Um, and I put that question yesterday to Jerry or to Terry Shannon, Fianna Fáil councillor Terry Shannon, who had been campaigning for a no vote, and he said that um, that it was a ridiculous argument, and that um, his quote was that that Limerick are not going to get ahead because somebody is in a Mickey Mouse job, and he said. <laughs> that um, in Cork we're rebels we're in the rebel county and we're not going to let that happen um, he said you know that Cork is still going to fire on ahead I mean it's been you know earmarked as the fastest growing city in the country over the next 20 years and he says that that's still going to press ahead regardless of whether but, or not we have a directly elected mayor But there was criticism of the campaign I know Micheál Martin for example leader of, of mm-hmm. uh, Fianna Fáil he said that it was run um, on an off the cuff basis and he was almost yeah. putting it back on Jerry Bushmer and Fianna Gael and saying well you didn't run a good a strong enough campaign yeah, uh, he actually used the word shambolic for the Whoa. for the campaign. Yeah, um, it's, and it it was kind of there was um, indications from Jerry Buttimer yesterday. Now he didn't come out directly and say it, but he said that people who had been um, supportive of the campaign and who had said that they were going to be involved in the campaign that they just kind of disappeared more or less uh, towards the end. And I think he was getting at Fianna Fáil and um, at, at Michal Martin in particular. Um, so it was quite bitter. Um, there was a, a very much an underlying bitterness there yesterday and some of the comments that were made with regards to that uh, plebiscite vote um, but you know a lot of people were very critical of the campaign from the very start they said that you know they were trying to find out why we actually needed a directly elected mayor and they were confused by some of the answers a lot of people said they didn't get enough information and they didn't get enough information on time now Jerry Buttimer was saying yesterday um, in response to that that you know they printed out these public leaflets um, and distributed them and they had town hall meetings and they had various press conferences and debates on radio and in the newspapers um, but people were saying that they didn't get those leaflets, that they didn't get them into their homes um, and uh, yeah it was just I suppose maybe they ran a better campaign in Limerick, maybe the people of Limerick were just more on board with it but it wasn't something that the people of Cork wanted yesterday. Now obviously a lot of people did vote for it and, and thought it was a good idea but um, that, that no vote just won out in the end. Yeah, but even in Limerick, it was it was it was at the narrowest of margins. You just mm-hmm. wonder, Fiona, 
Did it get lost in the midst of what was a busy day? There was European elections, there was local elections and there was, at the end of the day, a referendum. Was there just too much happening on the same day? I think so, Patricia. And I think as well, we had so much talk about the boundary changes, which really affected a lot of constituencies in the Cork City and County areas. And we even saw a lot of casualties as a result of that. Sitting councillors, councillors who had been there for years, who had lost their seats. Um, So there was all of that going on in the local election. There was the European election with 23 candidates you know it was it's a massive constituency it runs for practically half the country um there was all of that going on then there was the divorce referendum then there was the the plebiscite as well so i think maybe the timing could have been better and uh, maybe if it had been in a couple of years or if they had held maybe a, a separate plebiscite maybe next year even um people may have come on board a little bit more but um yeah i think um like even looking yesterday they showed us some of the um, invalid papers. There was about um, a thousand invalid papers yesterday. And a lot of people had just left the plebiscite one blank. So they might have gone into the polling stations and voted in the locals, voted in the Europeans or voted in the divorce referendum and didn't actually vote in the plebiscite at all. And um, there was a lot of those blank papers. There was one actually, um, you know, there's, there's a yes vote and a no vote and there's empty boxes beside them and you put your tick into it. And somebody just went in and just put massive big scribbles into the two boxes <laughs> and they were saying it was like the way we were all feeling yesterday so I think um, and a lot of them were spoiled people had written stuff on them Yeah I, heard, I saw I heard somebody wrote uh, we, we can't afford one plain and simple and, yeah, and left, yeah. left to that and actually moving on then to the Europeans when, and I'll pick up on that point when you talk about blank ballot papers mm-hmm. it was something like 20,000 spoiled ballot papers by, spoiled in that nobody put any marks on it at all the yeah. blank ballot papers went in yeah, I just um, arrived over in Nemo Rangers for the European elections here today and I'm told, Patricia, that we could be here till Friday so <laughs> I don't know how I'm feeling about that right now <laughs> but um, I'm looking at the paper here and it says invalid invalid ballot papers 36,793 um, now that could be invalid for um, any reasons there may have been like the stamp the stamp, the official stamp mightn't have been on it right or there may have been a rip in it or whatever but um, a good, a massive proportion of those would have been people who went in and either didn't vote properly or you know, put an X instead of a 1 or didn't put anything at all so um, but like you know you went but there was a vote. huge number of people decided no I just do not no. want to vote in the Europeans and I think the figure comes out at about 20,000 of that 30,000 odd it's a, yeah, a huge number and seemingly uh, you know I, I've heard MEPs defended saying oh that happens I've never remembered that many I've heard of spoiled votes before but not yeah, sending yeah. it back people and I'm wondering was it the fact of the, the length of the ballot paper the 23 it was a bit intimidating for some I know, and I think, you know, because people didn't vote, like, you know, if you had gone in and you and you left your paper blank for this and, or you left your paper blank for the plebiscite, you'd wonder why people go in at all, oh, no. you know? Oh, no. um, or is it just that, and, and like voter turnout was quite poor in, in Cork yesterday or on Friday as well. Um, I'm not sure about the county, um, but in the city, a lot of the constituencies were less than 50%. Yeah, I think we um, hovered at just about the 50 or just yeah. over the 50 in the and county. I, I think, like, speaking to people, I think that there was a lot of apathy towards the established parties of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, and they didn't want to give them a vote. But then they felt that with, you know, independence and maybe smaller parties that they don't have the same power. So, I don't know, what's the point in, in supporting them? And I, I I don't know, it's it's a strange one. It's like, um, you'd wonder, 
are people just sick and tired of the whole thing you know we've had we hear all of these issues of homelessness and and transport and you know do people feel that they're just not being represented properly and they've given up it's um it's a strange one it's well i was at the election. count i was at the count in mallow um on uh, Saturday and we were talking yeah. about that, that the campaign itself seemed very lacklustre was how one of the candidates yeah. put it and, it and it was flat and and I even we were even chatting afterwards about the small turnout at the count usually the place is yeah. heaving with people they're just it didn't seem to spark the imagination of people I mean yeah, uh, compared no, to five years ago when we were coming off the back of austerity it's just very it's a different country as well different feel to it it is it is like even yesterday now um, the plebiscite there wasn't that many people around when the result was actually um, announced now the city council um it was quite there was quite a lot of people there for that, um, but here now in Nemo today there's hardly anyone around. No, I don't know what it's been like for the last for the last couple of days because I haven't been here, but I just walked in and um, there was definitely a different buzz here than there was over in City Hall over the weekend. Um, a lot of people not here, and I don't know is that because candidates have come from all over the country and a lot of their families and supporters are are working today and they can't come down here to Cork or if they've just, you know, as you say, that there's just no interest. But, um, you know, even looking at the ballot paper when you went in to cast your vote, you'd obviously know, like, some of the kind of big names. But there was a lot of people on the, the paper that people didn't know or didn't recognise as well, do you mm. know? So, OK, and looking... You know, looking something that we could look at in, in years to come, like, you know, should there be a limit on the amount of people who yeah, can run yeah, these things? Or? Yeah, uh, but then we've got democracy. We've got if people want to put their names for us. We, we have to allow for it. But we're we're at yeah. day three, and we still don't have an MEP elected in Ireland South. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Just when I came in here this morning, they were going through the results of count five, and um, they've been counting here since um, since sun- Sunday. So this is what day three. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh, the closest, the quota is 119,866 and the closest now after Count 5 is Sean Kelly. He's on 119,123 so he's about 700 short of that quota. So they reckon that he may not be elected, he will be elected today but it could be between 1 and 3 o'clock this afternoon before he gets elected. Now um, the second then, the second in uh, who's closest to the quota sorry, is uh, Billy Kelleher. Fianna Fáil's Billy Kelleher and he's on 84,388 so he's quite a bit behind that quota um, but he's he looks more or less guaranteed to get um, the second seat there um, then in third place there's Mick Wallace the independent for change Mick Wallace he's on 82,658 Can um, I say I've been following this he's quite transfer he's more transfer friendly than I thought he would be Yeah I know and um you know, he got a massive vote in his own area of the southeast of the country, but um, he seems to have an appeal right across the, the constituency. So, um, you know, I don't think people thought or expected him to get um, as many first preference votes and then to move ahead as as quickly as he has done. You know, he's up now in third place. He's ahead of, you know, sitting MEPs like Leonie Rieda and uh, Delor- or Deirdre Clune. Um, so it'll be an interesting one to watch him. Mm. Um, and Leah is actually in fourth place. She's on seventy nine thousand five hundred and seventy three votes at the minute. Um, Grace O'Sullivan for the Green Party's in fifth. Um, in sixth, Malcolm Byrne, Fianna Fáil, and then in seventh, Deirdre Clune. She's on sixty four thousand eight hundred ninety nine. Um, but uh, what will or may be interesting about this, um, Patricia, you've heard about the whole thing that's going on in Dublin with Claire Daly and Barry Andrews. Yeah. 
Um, we might have a similar situation here in Cork because um, there are five seats up for grabs here, but um, the one of those is going to be a holding seat. So um, there's four guaranteed seats, but that fifth seat will only be in the event of Brexit happening in October. So whoever gets that fifth seat won't actually be sitting in the European Parliament until after Brexit. So they won't actually be sitting in, in Europe until November. So um, the way it works is the sixth person um, would be eliminated and then that would be the end of it. You'd have your five um, seats, you, fi you have your five um, MEPs. But, um, the, the, but now they're saying that um, if the sixth person is eliminated, that um, the dis distribution of their votes is really important because it might bring the fifth person over the fourth person mm. and then that fifth person then will be will move into the fourth place and then they will be guaranteed the seat so i don't know if yeah, we've that yeah, very well, yeah, you, yeah you have because <laughs> we've, we've never had this before no that you're you're going for election for a seat that may not exist Ever really, yeah. uh, I so would, and the possibility like. that it'll exist in, in a few months' time. So it's very important that you get into the top four positions rather than mm. come fifth. Fifth is okay, but you want to be in the top four. So yeah, I can fully understand why why what's going on with Claire Daly, and I can see the same thing happening here. Okay, mm. so we're expecting this afternoon for Sean Kelly. Uh, sometime between Some, one and three. Okay. It's a slow, uh, tedious process. I, and I'm sure you've got the feeling that you'd love to jump in and help them count. With that. Does that <laughs> go through your mind at any stage? Cause just I actually feel very sorry for the counters because, you know, whatever about us sitting here for long days, at least there are periods where it's quite lull, you know, it's a lull period and you've got really nothing to do and you're kind of chatting away. But for them, they're just sitting there like and they have to really concentrate so hard and they're, uh, they're you know, they are getting breaks, but it's just like, it just seems like such a, a tedious job having to go through all of those votes and count them and you know fair play to them they're putting in sterling work and it's they're doing a great job so um, I don't know if I would like to go in and help them Yeah it's mind numbing <laughs> at times listen um, if anything breaks before the close of the programme we'll talk failing that yeah. we'll catch up with you tomorrow Fiona thank you for that and thanks for joining thank us Thank you uh, Good morning to you that is uh, Fiona Corkin our senior news reporter joining us from Nemo Rangers with the news that we have no news we still do not have an MEP for the South uh, elected but getting very very close is Sean Kelly for Fine Gael who initially topped the poll three days ago now and uh, he should get elected in the next few hours. 1850 Joan in Fromoy was one of the people who returned a ballot paper blank and she says I didn't vote in the European elections I wasn't impressed with any of them. The wages they are on and also the, in the debates that I watched they were all sniping at each other and giving out about each other. Um, and I wasn't the only one. People who just folded the paper and left it blank. John Inco says, I didn't vote in the European elections either. I left my ballot paper blank uh, for the similar reasons to what Joan has said, because of the salaries that the MEPs obtained for Europe. And then when they're finished there, they receive very, very generous uh, pensions. And hence the reason. Yeah, I think the actual figure came out at while it was, I think... The figure that Fiona gave us, something like 32,000 were spoiled, but it was, it was 20,000, just over 20,000 who returned blank. Just decided, no, don't have a message for you, but I just want to vote for you either. And just returned them and sent it back in uh, the ballot paper with no mark on it at all. 1850 333 103. John Paul takes your calls. 
Hello, this is Rod Stewart. We've given it away. The Rod Stewart 3K Triple Play on C103. Hi there. Hi, what's your name? Marie. What's your surname, Marie? Phelan. And where are you from, Marie Phelan? I'm from Glenmire. Marie Phelan. You just won 3,000 So, congratulations to Marie Phelan from Glanmire for winning €3,000 on the Rod Stewart 3K Triple Play. And stay listening for the best way to win big on C103. I just jump in. There's a, an, still an hour delay for train services in Cork to Dublin. This was the signal fault that happened earlier at Houston Station and the knock-on effect around the country has been incredible. But the trains are back up and running, but they're running at about a one-hour delay. Some of your uh, comments coming in on whether we need a directly elected city mayor. Pat in Mallow says, I think Jerry Bottomer is way off the mark. If Limerick gets a paid mayor in there, does that mean Limerick could move ahead of Cork? as the mayor would be making the decisions. Also, what happens with Cork County um, and the rebel and the rural areas of Cork. Frankie Kinsale says the plebiscite confused people. People in the county had no say on what would affect them from the city. Yeah, people in the county didn't get to vote because it was for a city mayor, not for a county mayor. Dennis and Balancholic says, I think Balancholic should go back to the county council and they should forget about these mayors for the whole county. It is not a good idea. And the very latest coming from the Bantry recount, five ballot papers were detected in the recount that had to be excluded. There was a domino effect then on the count and it meant the Social Democrats, Holly McKeever-Carnes, went from losing the final seat by one vote to winning the final seat by one vote. That now means that the independent would-be councillor, Fimber Harrington, has now been granted a full recount, which was expected in, in fairness. Holly got the recount because she lost out by one seat. Fimber now is entitled to it because he's lost out by by one vote. Uh, so he's getting the recount. That recount begins at 12 midday. Preparations are now well in place for the staging of this year's Cork City Marathon this coming weekend with the course described as fast and flat. Mary Murphy from Glashian will be putting her running shoes on and she's hoping to complete her 200th marathon here in Cork next Sunday. We couldn't let the moment pass without having a quick chat with Mary. Good morning to you, Mary. Morning, Patricia. This is an incredible uh, achievement. So go back. When did you take up running? In 1996. Why? Um, we said the we. I was some of the lads in work were doing an orienteering event in Interfirm, and I went along. And one of them started running, and I couldn't keep up. So I decided that I'd better start doing a little bit of training. So then I started, and then went on to doing some business house races. And then did my first marathon in 2002. So you've, so from 2006 to 2000, so within six years you oh, were... Sorry, 19, yeah. Yeah, within six years you were, you were... And, I mean, to take up doing a bit of running to go to a marathon, that's a huge, there's a huge <laughs> gap between... I mean, where was the first marathon? In Dublin. And what was the... Would you, would you have very good memories of that? What was that like? Uh, yeah, I do have, you know, I just remember being very nervous 
And I had it in my head that I should be able to do one to four hours. So I did four hours, 20 minutes. So I was a little bit disappointed. But then, you know, kind of I think on the way home in the train afterwards, I kind of appreciated, you know, kind of finishing a marathon as a, a great achievement. So kind of went from being a bit downhearted to kind of being delighted. And then did that spur you on to try and beat that four hours? For, yeah, 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 yeah. You you wonder if you had done that first marathon in under four hours, would that have been it? Because most people, if they <laughs> if they if they achieve one marathon, Mary, you know that's it. I've done it. It's off the bucket list. <laughs> Not our Mary. No. And then when did when did you start to realise I'm running an awful lot of marathons here? It just evolved, Deb, because I did my next one in April in London. And we'd say, so that year I did three. The following year I did, I think, around seven. And at that time, we said there wasn't many marathons in, in Ireland. So I set myself the challenge of doing all four marathons on the islands of Ireland. So, you know, so things just progressed. And then I thought, oh, yeah, you know, kind of this is, you know, there's a nice atmosphere at the marathons. So I, you know, I, it just kind of progressed from there. And then... Obviously, you reached the 100th marathon and that was a huge achievement. That was, yeah, that was in Dublin in 2011 and that was my 10th consecutive Dublin. So that was a big achievement. It was, yeah. Uh, and then you just set another goal. I'll keep going to two until I get to two hundred. <laughs> oh, and 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 you obviously keep a track of all of the marathons that, that you do. Uh, yeah. Now, you, you wanted to make sure that the 200th was done here at home in Cork. This is, yeah, that it, it occurred to me about three and a half years ago that if I did 15 a year for the past three years, that I could do my 200th in Cork because I wanted to make the 200th special. And then I thought, well, where else could you run a marathon to make it special but in your hometown? So, you know, so that was, that, that was, been the the the, the, the goal and the goal for so, the past so, so fifteen a year, not a bother. Yeah. Like I'll just I'll just <laughs> run. Like there's only twelve months in the year, so like oh, sure, I'll just yeah. run fifteen. I'll be fine. <laughs> are you? I mean, you're constantly, obviously, you're constantly training. Are you? Uh, I'm kind of more shuffling now than doing. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but, yeah, I would. You know, I'd kind of train. I suppose around. You know, mostly six. You know, five six days a week. So I. But we'd say when you're doing so many, you tend. You know, to be kind of. I suppose recovering, and then you're kind of just getting ready for the next one. So you're not doing. You know, for your first marathon, you're doing a lot more mileage than I would be doing. You know, because I don't get a chance to really get the long runs in, you know. That that you would have when you were doing it for your first time out. Exactly. But exactly. Do, you, do you still get a buzz out of crossing the finish line? Do you get oh, the same yeah. buzz? Yeah. You do. every Because each course is different. You know, I've done Cork, I think, 12 times. But even every time I've done Cork, you know, things will be different. You'll have different challenges on the way. It never, you know, it's never easy. Um, and then once you kind of come into the finish line, there is, yeah, it's either joy that things have gone well or it's relief that, oh man, thank God, <laughs> it's finished. And I saw, I read somewhere that Cork City is one of your favourite yeah, marathons. Yeah. Why is that? Is it because it's home? It's home. Um, you know, it has everything that the big marathons have. You know, the tra- you know the roads are traffic free. 
you go to the north side of the city, the south side, the east, the west. You go under the tunnel. You know, you have beautiful views of the Lee. You come up the old railway line and then the finish in Patrick Street. You know, it's Patrick Street is, you know, I find it magic on Marathon Day. Yeah, yeah. and what, uh, I, what I love about being in, I've never run the marathon, but I've been in the city for the marathon. The atmosphere is yeah. just incredible. It's fabulous. And people hang around afterwards. You put on, you know, you have your medal, you're wearing the T-shirt, you know, and um, yeah, it's magic. And, you know, so that's why Cork would always be special. You know, I just missed one year, but I've done it every other year. And, you know, you you know, the, the lads in the city hall, you know, so you can go there, change afterwards. The support on the, the course, you know, the organisation, you know, it, it's, yeah, I, 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 lo- I love it. And this description of the course this year being fast and flat, does that suit you? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It does. It does. It does. Um, You know, there's just a small few hills in the course, you know, so they don't last very long. And there's a lot of variation in the course. Um, I think that helps me that you're not on any long straight stretches for too long, you know. So there is a lot of variation in the course. Yes, so how, after the race, uh, Mary, how, how will you celebrate? Are you, are you going to have family around? I mean, this is a big, big achievement. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a, a good few of the, my friends from work now will be around, you know. We'd say, hopefully some of my family will be there as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so I suppose what I'm doing now is just making sure I get to the start line safe <laughs> and, you know, that I get around safe. And, you know, so I haven't thought too much about afterwards, to be honest. OK, you. and, and you, you run on your own. You don't, you don't have a running mate or anything. No, I tend to run on my own. Do you? Um, yeah, that's, we'd say maybe in the future now I, I probably might I try to join a running club because, you know, if you want to get a little bit better. Yeah. Um, you know, the running clubs are great. But um, I suppose for me, it's just managing work and, you know, kind of family and home. I kind running... You can find the, your own time that suits you. Um, you know, so, you know, if it suits me, at, you know, kind of could be six or half, six in the evening or Saturday, you know. Yeah, it's hard to, to when, you, when you're working full time and you're running the house, it's, it's hard to factor in the yeah. time first. But listen, come here, don't you be worried about you running, uh, joining a club so you can get better. You've done 200 marathons, girl. You are the one who can be teaching everybody else how to get better. So listen, enjoy Sunday because that's what it's about as well, isn't it? It's, it's all about enjoying it as well. Absolutely, it, it is. It's about getting to the start line safely, enjoy it. Um, you know, what I've often do now, you know, when you see all the volunteers out in the course, you know, thank them, you know, kind of, you know, do the high five with the people who are coming out. And um, and then when you're coming on to Patrick Street at the finish, you know, I'll slap a smile onto my face and just go for it. Savour you know? every moment of it. Mary, it was a pleasure yeah. to have spoken to you. Good luck on Sunday. Yeah, and thank you. Thanks for joining us. Bye bye. What, okay. what an incredible lady that is. Mary Murphy from Glasheen, her 200th marathon at the age of 60. She'll take part next Sunday. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A lot of commentary coming in and we'll get to that but before we do just different issues that listeners want us to raise and get other people's opinions on. Dan in Kilbeheny was on to us about a cough 
that he has. And he's noticed others with this cough. And he's wondering, is it something that's pertaining to the area where he lives in Kilbehenny or have other people noticed it as well? Since Christmas, he reckons a number of people, including himself in the area, have kind of suffered from a persistent cough that you, they just can't shake off. Many of them have been on repeat antibiotics. It'll go away for a little while and then it comes back again. And he's just wondered, is it, he's never noticed it before. It's never happened before. You know, winter coughs, colds and flus, everybody gets them. But he said, this is lingering now. We're into nearly the end of May. And he said, people are still complaining of this cough and they're all saying, I've had this since Christmas anybody else uh, notices it any other areas just a persistent lingering cough or it'll go for a little while and then it'll come back I know we, we touched on it yesterday I'm sure with Annalise Drussell our nutritional therapist and she said she's seen an increase in people coming into the, her shop saying she runs a health shop in the Times Square in Balancholic and I'm sure she said yesterday that yes, there are people coming in saying I can't shake off this cough and I've had it since Christmas. Now I don't know what, what it is or why it is and obviously antibiotics it's, I, it, you don't need an antibiotic for it because if the antibiotic isn't curing it it means you didn't need an antibiotic for it in the first place. All I can suggest Dan is, is look at the sort of the alternative way. They, have you looked at herbs? Have you looked at the old fashioned way of treating coughs and colds and a persistent cough uh, like that? I mean Annalise would often talk and I know Everyone in this building swears by uh, Dr. Delish Clare, who we had on this programme through Annalise on the programme and she does herbal remedies. She's a GP who has gone into herbal remedies because she was sick as a GP of constantly handing out pills and potions to people, antibiotics, etc. And they weren't really working. So she went back to basics. She went back to looking at herbs and herbs that worked. And our forefathers, you know, how did they survive all of these colds and things? Uh, and they did it through herbs. And a lot of those herbal remedies really, really do work. And Dr. Delish Clare does one uh, f- specifically for that, for coughs and colds and kind of chesty kind of, that niggly cough you can't get rid of. And I know a bottle of it came into this building and all of us at some, it doesn't taste too great being a herbal remedy. I'll give you that. But it worked. I remember I had a persistent cough I couldn't get rid of and it was it was that. And I know John Paul swears by it as well. And, and Bernie, who works on this programme, I think she was the first to, to get it and passed it on to all of us. So maybe that might be, it might be worth having a look at that. And then Mary in Newmarket was on to us. They say she had relatives home from America and they wanted to go into the church in Kanturk as one of the visitors had been baptised in that church. And that's a nice thing to do when you've been away maybe for quite some time and you come back. And I think it's also lovely if you have family members with you, you know, that if to bring them back to say, well, this is where, you know, mammy was or this is where I was baptised or this is where granny was baptised. There's just something nice uh, about it. However, on Sunday afternoon, they headed into the church in Canturk to discover it was locked and it had been locked since 2.30. And Mary Newmarket is wondering, could they not leave the church, the churches open longer? Certainly on a Sunday until half four. Other churches stay open until half four. It was a huge disappointment for the visitors and I don't know if it was the only day that they could get back to uh, Canturk. I, I can sense your disappointment, Mary, and I understand the disappointment, you know, and they've probably been talking about it and looking forward to it. But I can also see the other side from the church's point of view. We're... we're the church, the Catholic Church today has changed so much. I mean, they certainly don't have the staff. They don't have the same number of priests around to lock up churches or sacristans to lock up churches. And then, sadly, 
we have an issue that churches have to remain locked because of vandalism. Now, not I don't know if there's ever been vandalism in that particular church, but they are afraid to leave churches open for lengthy periods of time because churches have been vandalised in other areas and they're afraid that the same thing is going to happen or people try and get in and think there's going to be money inside in a church and should there be very little inside in a poor box in a church or in the candle boxes these days. But you just don't know if some courier wants to break in the damage that they can do. So for that reason, a lot of churches have to remain closed outside of when, say, the priest is around to say Mass or the sacristan is around. And other than that, it remains under lock and key. And that's just a sad reflection of society. And I'm assuming if I get on to the powers that be in Cantorque, it's something like that that they will tell me. But I do sense and I do understand your disappointment. And uh, Mary wonders, how do others feel about that? And have others noticed that outside of the normal Mass times, churches remain under lock and key? Is that what is that what's happening? Is that common across the city and county? 1850 Let me go back to elections for a moment just to remind you of that latest update that I just brought you before news at 12 from the count in Bantry. This is now the last seat to be filled is the uh, final seat, the fourth and final seat for the Bantry West Cork electoral area. Already elected is Danny Collins. He topped the poll the Independent, followed home by the Fianna Fáil outgoing or still the mayor. Is he still he still, he still will be the county mayor? Patrick Gerard Murphy and then Katie Murphy for Fianna Gael took the third seat on the seventh count and that left it then between Independent candidate Fimber Harrington and Holly McKeever Carnes is with the Social Democrats. Fimber Harrington was initially deemed elected when the votes started to be transferred, uh, but he won the seat by one vote, which allowed Holly McKeever Carnes to go for a recount. The recount has happened and five ballots were detected in the recount that had to be excluded. The domino effect then on the count meant that the Social Democrats, Holly McKeever Carnes, went on from losing the final seat by one vote to winning the final seat by one vote. That then allowed the independent candidate, Fimber Harrington, to request a full recount. And that full recount went underway 20 minutes ago, 12 noon today. So it will be, it was very slow and tedious yesterday. I'm assuming it's going to be the same today. Every single ballot that was cast in the Bantry West Cork area I imagine is going to be scrutinised we certainly won't have anything before the close of the programme today but stay tuned to C103 as soon as anything breaks from that story we will bring it to you with all the toing and froing that's going on with election council when I spoke with Fiona Corcoran in the last hour day three of the counting for Ireland South in the European elections and we still don't have an MEP yet. That has prompted John to reflect on electronic voting, the dirty word of electronic voting. If we went ahead with electronic voting years ago, says John, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in today with all of this lengthy counting and we also wouldn't have the problem that we had with the long ballot papers. Yeah, but could you have imagined the size of the electronic voting machine you would have needed to get the 23 names for the 
for the Ireland South. I don't know how electronic voting would have dealt with that. Anyway, they would have got around it. John feels we should have stuck with the electronic voting. Uh, we shouldn't have left it to the politicians. They were the ones who were so against it. An independent council should have been set up at the time. But in electronic voting, there's electronic voting in other in other countries. We should go back to, uh, we should look again at electronic voting. Please don't mention, remember the amount of money that was spent out on electronic voting for nothing and then there was all the storage of the machines. It was crazy. And you know, well, yes, the counting goes on forever, can go on forever and ever. And it's tough on the people counting and it's really, really emotionally draining on the candidates. When I went in to vote last Friday, there's something lovely about being in a classroom. That's where I voted. I voted in the school, as did a lot of other people around the country. And you got the plown, the pion Louis, the pencil, attached to a string. And, and I marked out my one, two, three, four, five, and on I went with my lead pencil. And just, there was something comforting about it because it sort of struck me as I walked out. You know, countless generations in this country has done it the very same way. We have the, the pencil with the piece of string and inside in the classroom and little tables and chairs around the place. I, I, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm still undecided on electronic voting. I certainly wouldn't want to go anywhere near the cost to this country of electronic voting. And then watching the way the results came in. Yeah, no, I, I think maybe I'm too old fashioned. I like the way we do it at the moment, but I I absolutely understand uh, where you're coming from. Now, staying with elections and all of that, on the mayoral results, this was the plebiscite that that the people in the city voted no to a directly directly elected mayor. Sandy says, Did Leo Varadkar not say that Cork City Council would have to meet the cost of running the mayoral office? This amounts at present to an estimated €400,000. This would make anyone who barely scraped through financially during the recession to consider the starvation of funds for essential services. The promise of road and tram transport did help to reduce the no vote. But will that be another event centre fiasco? Only time will tell. I think that was all the ones in on election. And let me go down further. There was some more came in on elections earlier on, particularly on the plebits on the plebiscite. So, okay, a listener from Balancholic who doesn't want me to call out the name, which is fine. So I'll just say a Balancholic listener says one reason that the plebiscite failed was that people were not given information on what the effects of voting yes or no would be. Each household was supposed to get an information booklet to explain the outcome. I've only met four people who actually received a copy. By the way, I didn't get one. So that's why I voted no. That's my melancholic um, listener. But that's interesting. I thought everybody in the city got that explanation booklet and just thought maybe people with all the stuff that came in for the election, did they just put it in the bin and didn't, didn't read it? But there's somebody and n- not on their own because they met others uh, and has met very few people who actually received uh, a copy. So that could explain. And, you know, if you're in doubt about something, you're probably better off voting no. You need to be fully informed before you vote yes to something. But you also need to try to inform yourself. You can't just use that, oh, I don't know anything about it, so I'm going to vote no. But if the tools are not put in front of you to explain what it's all about, I can understand why why you would have voted no. And I heard a politician, says a listener, criticise the result of the plebiscite and recommending the government send it on to the Citizens' uh, Assembly. In other words, if the people who elected him 
do not do as he or other politicians wish. It should be enforced upon them by some other means. So much for democratic wish of the electorate. I think he should be sanctioned for what he uh, said, either um, one way or or, or handed a financial penalty, but he should be sanctioned uh, for it. And it does look like that's what's going to happen. Well, it's been suggested that the Cork vote now would go to the Citizens' uh, Assembly. But the Irish politicians, we're great when we vote no to a referendum if we don't get it right in what they deem right. I'll go back again until we eventually do. We've had that time and time again in, in this country so I wouldn't be in any way surprised if that's what happens again with the plebiscite in the city. And John, and my apologies to you John because I'd say you've sent in this text every single day in the last week or so in the run-up to the elections, to the local elections saying how much are councillors paid with expenses etc. Uh, John is somebody who's got a beanie's bonnet about the cost of our local councillors. They don't, in the scheme of things, I certainly don't think they get a huge sum of money when you look at the amount of work that they do. I know that before Christmas, Sinn Féin were actually one of the parties who were proposing that a set salary would be put in place for city and county councillors and they were set, they were proposing €35,000 a year should be the salary for a full-time city and county council. But they wanted that in place and then removed the unvouched expenses. Now, I don't know, and I'm sure if I dug deep, deep enough, all of the expenses are somewhere in Cork County Council or Cork City Council on the website. I, I'm sure they're there somewhere. But I do know they're unvouched ex- expenses. So I don't, because they're unvouched is there no limit then on what a councillor can claim on expenses? But the actual wage packet itself, if you want to look at it as a wage packet, is about €23,000. It isn't. Now, some people will say that's not a bad wage. But others will look at it for the amount that a councillor does and they're at people's call 24-7. And then at the end of the five years, they have to go before the people and the people will decide whether they will continue to get the €23 euro plus the voucher expenses. It's a tough, tough game. I certainly don't think they get paid enough, but that's just a personal thing for me. For what they do it for, I wouldn't be doing it for 23000 I wouldn't do it if you paid me. 100,000. I really think it's a tough, tough job and I have great admiration for anyone that goes forward either bravely putting their name on the paper, on the ballot paper in the first place and then those that get elected, they work really, really hard. And here's an example of somebody who was brave enough to put their name onto the ballot paper. Morning, Patricia. On the issue of the low turnout for the election, says Pat. While on the canvas trail, it was very evident to me that a lot of people are totally disillusioned with the way that they have been represented and promises that were made five and three years ago simply were forgotten about. I unfortunately came up short but hopefully with some new blood coming in it might give confidence back to the people. We'll wait and see. And that's from Pat O'Regan who ran as an independent in the Bandon Kinsale electoral area and I remember I mentioned Pat on the programme during the campaign because Pat was one of the independent first-time candidates who made the decision not to put up posters and he did it for environmental reasons. And at the time we were discussing it, when people were saying there should be a complete ban on election posters, it was stated that it would be unfair on independent councillors who need to get their name and their face out there. But Pat still made the decision not to put up posters, but sadly he didn't. He didn't make it. But well done. You're very brave. You're a very brave person to put your 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 name out there and 
went out there and canvassed and I know you did a door-to-door canvass and you went through uh, social media. But then young um, Ben, who joined us this morning, what did he say? Eight posters? He, he put up and he, he went door to door. So it, it can be done as well. But we are, the, that argument will roll on on whether to get rid of posters or not. And are they good? Well, everybody see, says they're bad for the environment. That's for sure. OK, just a couple of answers in on the soap. Remember the listener who wanted, who, who is being environmentally friendly, giving up the liquid soap, going back to the good old fashioned bars of soap but is looking for good soap dishes. She has one, but it's ironically plastic, which has the holes in it, so the water drains into the dish. But when she's gone looking to buy other soap dishes to place them around the house, maybe she's got a couple of bathrooms and one for the kitchen. She doesn't, or she can find a ceramic ones, but she finds that the soap goes soft, you know, bit yucky. So she doesn't want that. So she's wondering, does anybody know where you can get good soap dishes? A couple of suggestions in. Hi Trish to the lady looking for a soap dish. I have a ceramic one, which I made, by the way, in ceramics classes. Well done. And to help with the drainage and to stop the soap going mushy, I wrap two elastic bands around it around the actual ceramic soap dish so it kind of just keeps it up off it lying on the base. That's a very clever idea. I wonder where you... Did someone tell you that or did you come up with that on your own? Well done. But it works very well and that's from a Cork City listener. Thank you for that. And Pat says, Hi Patricia, on the soap dish I use a small kitchen sponge. It's perfect as it absorbs the soap and then it can be washed and changed. Uh, I was on before, by the way, trying to get part-time summer work for a 17-year-old in the Mallow area. Any idea from your listeners, uh, please? It's for a 17-year-old boy. OK, we'll give that out as well. And thank you. That's a nice idea. You leave the soap on the sponge and it doesn't go soggy. It'll, it'll, it'll soak off any of the excess moisture. But we'll put it out there because summer children, young people will be coming out of school soon, won't they, for the, for the three months of the summer the ones not doing exams. So any work, you just, I've just realised on the text, Pat, you haven't said, oh, so you have, Mallow, my apologies. Okay, anybody know of part-time summer work for a 17-year-old lad in the Mallow area? If anybody knows of suggestions or where Pat's 17-year-old boy can go to look for part-time work or if anybody has suggestions for part-time work get it into us uh, please back to the soap Maeve says you can get a met a magnet soap holder I got mine online the holder fixes to the wall you push a piece of metal into the bar of soap and when you're finished with it the soap just clicks onto the magnet holder and it works a treat says Maeve Thank you, May, for that. That's online, though. If anybody knows of one of them being sold locally, we'd, we'd, we'd love to get people out shopping locally. And Jack's text, I have to say, made me smile when I saw it. And I was about to do something serious, so I had to look away from the text. Jack says, this is to do with the Bailey case, with Marie Bailey. And she fallen off the swing when she out on a night with her friend and she'd got the bottle of beer and the friend had got the bottle of wine and they went upstairs and they saw the swing and she decided we'll get her picture taken on the swing and she sat down on the swing with her bottle of beer and then she went to hold the friend's bottle of wine and that's when she fell off the swing. Jack says, am I missing something here? What kind of a hotel was it? 
I've been in a number of hotels over the years and I've never seen swings. I'd love to know what goes on in that premises. It's at the Dean Hotel in Dublin. And actually, John Paul has been in there. It's a fabulous hotel. I've seen a photograph. It's up on the top of the building. I think there must be some outdoor area, maybe a smoking area, beer garden kind of a thing. And it's on the way out to that, that they have these swings. They're normal. They're just perfectly normal. Wooden. Kind of, it looks like it's a wooden base on it and the rope handles. And who loves a swing? Everybody, every, even adults. We all love a swing. And these, But they're adults. They're not for children. They are designed for adults to have a quick little swing. And uh, but, but nothing untoward goes on in the hotel. It's a beautiful hotel. And as I say, John Paul has been in the hotel and has actually been on the swings. 1850. So if you want to find out more about the hotel, you can give John Paul a call. 1850-333-103. He says it comes highly recommended. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Cork's Rotary Satellite Club, they're holding a table quiz. It is on tonight in the South Country Bar in Douglas with an 8 o'clock start. It's €40 Euro per table and proceeds are going to their bikes to the Gambia. It's a project where Rotary Ireland has successfully sent two thousand bicycles to the Gambia to enable children to cycle to school. A reminder to those intending to enter Donora's floral competition entry forms must be returned by the end of May which is fast approaching while Sunflower Days for Marymount Hospice that will be held on Saturday the 8th of June. Volunteers are needed to help with collections especially in Charleville and the city centre. If you can help by giving up an hour or two of your time call 021 4501201 and the county Cork area are holding an Alcoholic Anonymous convention in McCroom. It's happening across this bank holiday weekend at the Riverside Hotel with an open public meeting to be held on Sunday and we're going to be talking about that after these. C103 presents the 22nd Inishannon Steam Rally June 2nd and 3rd. See old time threshing, steam engines, old vintage tractors, cars, trucks, motorbikes and the parade of old harvest machinery. There's cake sales, vintage club displays, trade stands, sheep dog trials, dog show, tug of war and more with a pet's corner, a fun fair and live entertainment. See Inishannon Steam and VintageRally.com. There's fun for all the family at the Inishannon Steam Rally June 2nd and 3rd with C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. The Cork County area are holding an Alcoholics Anonymous convention in McCroom. It's happening across this weekend. The, the event has been held at the Riverside Park Hotel and it's the first time McCroom is to host the event. An open public meeting will be held on Sunday at uh, 12 noon and one of the speakers across the weekend uh, joins me and that is uh, Morris. Uh, good afternoon to you, Morris. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, and, and, uh, well, you're, you're very welcome. Uh, you're sober 14 years, so let's start with 14, that. Con- 14 years. Well, I was just coming up to 14. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank congratulations. You. Well, congratulations to AA. Really well, well it's, 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 a, it's a terrific <laughs> achievement. But, but take me back. Talk to me about when you first started drinking and when did you realise that you might have a problem with drink? I I started drinking in the late teens, and to be honest with you, I, I knew I had a problem such a straight away because I'd seen it in my family as well, you know. Um, but that didn't stop me. I kept going for a sort of. I, I, the following 10 years, I drank as often as I could, as much as I could, and then spent 10 years trying to give it, desperately trying to give it up my own, but without any success. And 
Then in my early 40s, came into AA, was there for about 10 years, but unfortunately went out again, Patricia. I thought I was, uh, you know, I, I was, I, I had a conquered and I stopped doing the things that had got me sober in the first place. And, uh, and can you remember that first, I don't know, was it a phone call to AA? Was it walking through a door, going into a meeting? I can remember, I can certainly remember, I, I, I have a very strong memory of my first meeting, actually, which uh, was in 1988. Uh, and uh, that sense of coming home, I, I had resisted the idea of AA for a long time. But suddenly, my, my, I, while I was being hospitalised, I was hospitalised, being treated for alcoholism, my mind changed very, very, very quickly. And it was really sort of when I went into that meeting, I, I realised that this is something that should, could have been, I should have been there well before that. You know, there was a strong sense of identification when I heard people talking about their sort of thoughts and their, you know, their struggle with drink. And it was something I thought I was very much on my own, uh, you know, uh, but it turned out not to be. So getting that identification was, was a huge thing for me. So you conquered it? For ten years, you you well, were sober. I, I never conquered it actually. I just I did, yeah, just one day at a time with the help of AA. But unfortunately, I went out again, and I spent a good seven years, unfortunately, trying to get back. Actually, and uh, those seven years brought me to places that actually that I never thought would, be, would have been sort of uh, possible for me. You know? So um, when you so when you re is it, you relapsed or slipped or whatever I relapsed, word you want actually, relapsed. So and your drinking, you say, was worse. Then it, when it was, when, when it was, it was because actually it's, it's a progressive disease, and you, you don't sort of, if you're off it for a certain time, you don't sort of go back to square one again. Really, you start actually as as if yeah, at a point uh, at which you, it's like you'd never had stopped drinking at all. It has that effect uh, very very quickly. And so um, that would be common that when somebody relapses, that they're actually going to be worse. It's going to have a it, worse it, effect. It often happens. So that is that is that is that is. There's no rule about that, I suppose, but it is the, it is the common experience for people who have people who have gone out, and it was certainly for me actually. I mean, I lost more out of that drinking than I had done from the, all the previous twenty years. Wow, wow! And uh, during those seven years, I mean, mm. you must have thought about AA, and you must have said, "I've done it before; I can do it again." I kept saying that to myself actually, but there was nothing happening. I never moved away from AA completely, but. There was something, like I've often said, uh, that it was a switch had gone in my mind. I didn't actually argue with myself whether I was alcoholic or not. I just said to myself, well, I am, but maybe I'll get away with it. The power of drink was so strong uh, uh, through all those years. And it was just a chance meeting with someone sort of that lit the spark again. Walking across the square, market square in Kinsale, and I met someone I hadn't seen for a while. They'd be going to meetings, we'd a chat, and something that they said to me, and I can't remember what it was, but I made up my mind to really give it a try after that. And I went back to meetings, and I, but most importantly, I went to Arbor House in Cork, uh, where I did treatment. I needed a kickstart from treatment again, if you like. And here I am, sort of 14 years well later. Done. Well done. And for for your family, Morris, it must have been devastating because they would have, you know, lived initially with you when you were battling your addiction. Yes. And then they lived with you sober. And yes. then to see you go back must have been gut wrenching. That, that, that is always devastating, actually, you know. Uh, and it, there was a lot of trust lost, obviously, actually, and it took a while to build it back up again, you know. 
Yeah, but, you, but, uh, but now, but now they, 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 they can see where you are and yeah. how, how strong you are today. Talk to me about the AA Fellowship. I loved that line where you say it felt like coming home. Yes, indeed. Actually, I suppose, you know, I, I realised actually that, that I, I, I spoke about it this way, that I have no strength on my own to, to, to resist that first drink, you know. But I, 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 it's, there's a strength in AA, in the Fellowship, that I can draw on. You know, that that's run. It's a, it's it's a very hard thing to explain. Actually, I mean, there's 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 to be any sort of rationality to it, and that I know it works for me. Now, I, I I'm not saying that it works for everyone, and AA doesn't claim that. Actually, um, but it's all, all we could do is talk about our own personal experience of recovery. You know, mm. uh, and that's the way it has been for me. It's keeping contact with other members, telling them it's going to meetings. I got to about three, maybe four meetings a week still. Um, and I go because I want to go, but also because I have to go. Really, you know, I've realised that from my previous experience. You know, and do you do you do you believe that? Do you believe that that will be for life? That you'll have to attend a meeting? Absolutely, no problem. There's always for me actually. There's a time. There's a voice there at the back of my head. Now it's it's so faint at the moment, Patricia. Actually, you know, that says Morris, it'll be okay to have a drink. Yeah. Okay, but I can barely hear it. But if I stop doing the things that got me sober in the first place, that voice gets louder and louder and louder. The volume just turns up until it takes me over completely. You know, I like so it. that's that's the way I deal with it. It, it sounds like a sort of a, it, it's not hard work, by the way, actually, because I really, I, I really enjoy sort of going to meetings and I enjoy the, the friendships that I have with, with others in the fellowship. But it's not, and it's not that I live in AA because I'm part of life. Mm. Uh, and and tell me, the convention this way again is about that. Yeah, about tell me about the tell me about the convention, and and it's important that because it is the first time it's been held in McCroom. It is actually as far as I know. Yes. Yeah. So tell me about the convention and what happens because it runs. It starts on Friday and it, it starts it, on Friday and finishes Sunday. I suppose, and I suppose it's just you know the big big gallons of coffee and tea unfortunately, <laughs> but, uh, but along with a lot of enjoyment, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and that was something that I had to cut Once I stopped drinking at first, I said, well, one thing has gone, I've gone. I'd never join a sing song again, or I certainly never dance again, you know. But, you know, it, that, is, that is not the case, of course, actually. And it's about that coming back to life and, and enjoying oneself without having to have a drink. Yeah, um, and you, you, you can... You know, it's meeting, we have lots of meetings. We have meetings going right through... Um, the sort of 24 hours really you know uh, what we call the marathon meetings we have a dance on Saturday night we have workshops about service but probably the, the highlight of the convention really the most important thing actually is the 12 uh, o'clock meeting on Sunday 12 noon this is the open public yeah, meeting now just for, 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 for what happens at an open public meeting well we'll have two speakers from AAA okay. talking about their own experience uh, and we'll have a, uh, a speaker from Al-Anon as well. Okay. So uh, anybody who's interested in finding about, out about alcoholism actually who feels that they are suffering and possibly want to just hear, find out more about AA or somebody who has a partner or someone close to them actually who's suffering from alcoholism just to come along and hear um, what has been said actually, you know. And when you go to that first meeting, mm. uh, Morris, do you, do, you, do you always talk? Do you, do you ask to speak at your first meeting? You know, you know, you don't, actually. You, no. you, uh, lots of people, when I came in first, I didn't speak for ages. 
you know, uh, you, you're not obliged to. You're not obliged to do anything in AA, you know. We do encourage you not to drink. <laughs> That's the most important one. Yeah, okay. But so, really, there, there, there are no hard rules. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a very friendly atmosphere, actually. I know it's very hard for somebody to come across the threshold. No doubt about that. But once they're there, actually, I find that there's a friendliness there, actually. And, you know, people listen. Uh, and you're mm-hmm. not obliged to talk with you. I know lots of people actually, and they just they don't share at all, and that's okay, you know. People listen, and I think most importantly, you're not going to be judged because you're going to be with people. Exactly. Been there, exactly. done it, bought the t-shirt. Uh, 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 yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's a wonderful organisation, and exactly. and thank you for sharing your uh, story with us. Uh, good luck at the convention at the weekend. Thank you very much, Patricia. Uh, and Mars, thanks, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you very much. Good afternoon to you. Bye-bye. Alcoholics Anonymous Convention, McCroom, Riverside Park Hotel. And if you want to find out more, go along to that open public meeting and it will be on next Sunday, Bank Holiday Weekend at uh, 12 noon. Some of your uh, texts coming in to us on the cough. Uh, a couple of people saying, yeah, uh, Glamour listeners said, I've had that persistent cough since Christmas. I've had antibiotics after antibiotics after antibiotics. And that's and obviously the antibiotics are not uh, working. Talking about the plebiscite and the cost of an elected mayor and the cost of 130k a year. What about the legal aid cost in a recent murder trial? It was 155k for a 12 week trial for one barrister. We need to talk legal costs in this country, says a texter. Get rid of, this is on the long counts that are going on at the moment, get rid of proportional representation. This is where we transfer the votes down along. That would simplify the voting count rather than buying electronic machines that could go out of order. Or what if there's a power cut? Imagine your early texter's dilemma who was advocating for electronic voting. If that happened, considering he, they, they consider it seems the persistence slow count is irking that person at the moment what would you do if you had a power cut and you were suggesting give it a PR first past the post which is and first past the post would give different results people who weren't in didn't have a high first preference but did well on transfers that's where PR portion representation suits them but for others it doesn't. It's, there's a, it, it depends on what side of the fence. It depends on how you get in and how you get elected, whether you were in, say, if there's five seats, you were in the top five. But if you were the sixth or the seventh and you got in because of transfer of votes, then you're all in favour of PR. But if you lost out because you didn't get enough transfer of votes, then, yeah, you'll be going for first past the post. But PR is the way we have it in this country. And I've never heard any talk about changing that. But who knows? Uh, that could that still could happen yet. Healy Ray election poster still up on the Mallow Killarney Road near Derrynagree Cross. I thought they were meant to be down by now. No, they have a full week, full week after voting. I'll have to get John Paul to take I'm sure it's a full week after voting, yeah. So we vote on Friday, so they'll have to be down by Saturday morning, say, will be the will be the cut off. Uh, people, Patricia says the texture. Why can't Cork Racecourse Mallow be used to have host concerts like the concert that was hosted the Rod Stewart one, for instance? I mean, they've plenty of room for parking, lots of space for thousands of people. But why do all of the concerts have to be on in the city? Wouldn't Mallow Racecourse be a great venue? Yeah, and look at the 
garden festival that went on there at the weekend so they, they show that it can be uh, done it would be great uh, but then for people in the city they'd say why do we have to travel out to the county for it they'll want it on their doorstep as well you can't please everyone connect with C103 on Twitter now search for our Twitter handle at C103 Cork I want to end on a real positive note. Here's a gorgeous text in saying, a bit off your morning topics, but I want to say thank you to yourself. Ten weeks ago, I just managed to hear you advertise first night of training for Couch to 5K training on the same night. It was a Tuesday. Lo and behold, this week as part of the group, I shall be running 5K this Friday evening coming in Donnerail Park. It's the Daniel Byrne race. I feel so much healthier, so much fitter. It's just unbelievable. I'm an old one. I've never run in my life and now I love it. It's a great group. It's the Mallow Running Club. The impact on my health and mental well-being has been huge and it all started for me by just listening to you advertise it on your programme well I'm so glad I played my part listen well done and congratulations to you and good luck to everybody uh, taking part in that run that's where I leave you for today thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing we'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10 Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby It's me Kiki Palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.